One of the benefits of hosting a conference is that I get to choose the topics. And so I saved the best for myself. So I apologize to my fellow speakers. I saved the best for last and I saved the best for myself and I don't feel guilty about it at all. Because heaven is what we're going to talk about. And heaven is an exciting topic because every one of us holds inside us an innate knowledge that there's something more beyond this lifetime. You can see it in Ecclesiastes 3.11. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. God has put inside us a knowledge that there's something about us and about life that goes beyond this existence. And what that is, though, we are just too small to grasp. Yet, we are given an inkling. 1 Corinthians 2.9 No eye has seen, no ears have heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love them. And the reason that we can't conceive of the eternal is because this life is much like we're living in the womb. You know, we think of this life as, as it. But you think about it, a butterfly, for instance, has four stages. It's an egg, and then it turns into a caterpillar, then it turns into a cocoon, a chrysalis, and then a butterfly. And we, too, have stages in our life. We start out as a blastocyte, and then we turn into an embryo, and then we're a fetus, and then we're a baby, and we're a toddler, elementary, and then we're finally adult. But there is another stage for our existence that's beyond this stage. Now, I have this great story here. I'd like to read you. It's about these two fetuses. They're in a womb, and they're kind of noticing things around them and how each of them responds to it. And this story is uh, written by uh, Henry Newen. It goes, The sister said to the brother, I believe there is life after birth. Or her brother vehement, protested vehemently, No, this is all there is. This is a dark and cozy place, and we have nothing else to do but to cling to the cord that feeds us. Well, the little girl insisted, that There must be something more than this dark place. There must be something else, a place where light where there's freedom to move, but still she could not convince her twin brother. Well, after some silence, the sister said hesitantly, I have something else to say, and I'm afraid you won't believe that, but I think there's a mother. Her brother became furious. A mother, he shouted? What are you talking about? I have never seen a mother, and neither have you. Who put the idea in your head? And as I told you, this place is all we have. Why do you always want more? This is not such a bad place after all. We have all we need, so let's just be content. Well, the sister was quite overwhelmed by her brother's response and for a while didn't dare say anything more. But she just couldn't let go of her thoughts. And since she had only her twin brother to speak to, she finally said, Well, don't you feel the squeezes every once in a while? They're, they're quite unpleasant and sometimes painful. Yes, he answered, but what's special about that? Well, the sister said, I think that these squeezes are, are there to get us ready for another place, much more beautiful than this, where we will see our mother face to face. Don't you think that's exciting? Well, the brother didn't answer. He was fed up with the foolish talk of his sister and felt that the best thing would be to simply to ignore her and hope that she would leave him alone. Isn't it interesting, the two views between the two fetuses? A baby that perceives the next stage we're very similar to. The little girl listened to the signs around her. She eagerly anticipated that there was something better by recognizing what those signs are. But the boy, he didn't want anything to do with what he saw around him. He was comfortable where he was. He was happy where he was. But even though he made a good face of it, you could tell he was frightened about where he was. And as we exist, do we see ourselves as the little boy or the little girl? Well, why is the little boy so scared? Why was he scared of something beyond what he's used to? And I think there's a few reasons for that. One, life is short. Psalm 144.4 says, Man is like a breath. His days are like a fleeting shadow. Everybody take a breath. That's it. That's your life. I mean, really, think about it. Our lives go almost that quickly. 
Hebrews 2.15 says, Those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. See, life is so short. And that death always looms on the periphery of our vision. We know it's out there, but we spend most of our time trying to avoid it and not think about it. And to think even at this conference today, there was a funeral just right down the hall. The second misconception, uh, sorry, the second reason why we're scared of death is because there's misconceptions. We're convinced, I think, I personally am convinced, that a lot of the reasons and the misconceptions we get about heaven come from cartoons. I mean, really, we were raised on cartoons. And how many times did you see the coyote chase the roadrunner and one of his plans would backfire and he'd be squished and all of a sudden he's in heaven. He's floating around playing a harp. Or what about the devil? You know, he's got this pitchfork and he's a big pot belly. And he's poking people in hell with pitchforks and laughing hysterically. Or movies. How about how we, we disappear like Yoda and become one with the force? I mean, we've got these, all these ideas coming at us from all different directions, giving us different views. And it's left us quite confused. And I want to show you a video about two guys that are a little confused about what life is like in heaven. You think there'll be tots in heaven? What? Tots. In heaven. What, like angels with pearly deep fryers cooking them up? Man, it's heaven. And just rain tots. Or they grow on trees. Tots on trees. That's your idea of heaven. There won't be any tots on trees in hell. I can guarantee you that. Look, if we eat in heaven, I think it'd be something healthier than this. Like carrots or apples. Not something that's going to give you a heart attack. Dude, aren't we dead? I mean... Your soul can't get a heart attack, and you don't even have a body in heaven. Then how are you going to eat your tot? Maybe it's a spiritual tot. Spiritual tots. Colonics got them, others don't. (laughs) Oh, from our womb perspective, we just don't have enough data, and we're left guessing, aren't we? Like these two guys. But, you know, we don't have to totally guess, for God has revealed a good number of details about what the afterlife is like, and he puts them inside the Bible. Now, don't forget 1 Corinthians 2.9. God has prepared. He has prepared our life now and after this life, and he once shares a taste of that in the Bible. Now, let's keep going through some of these misconceptions about what life is like after death. How about annihilation? You know, when an atheist comes and they tell you that there's just nothing. When we're done, we're out of here. We're gone. Now, how would they know? Where do they get the information that this is it? This is all there is. But Jesus explained that there was an afterlife, and you can find that in Luke 16 and Revelation 20. Or how about reincarnation, that we come back again, we try to keep coming back and try to get rid of the bad karma, the bad energy around us, and eventually we'll all become God. But no, Hebrews 9.27 tells us, just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment, destined to die once. Or how about purgatory, that you have to suffer in some place to purge yourself of your sin before God will let you into heaven. No, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one will boast. In 1 John 1, 17, the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from sin. It's Jesus who cleans us. It's not us burning somewhere. Or how about this one, soul sleep. We call it the big nap. You go into the ground... You're unconscious, and then someday you'll raise again. Well, you know, I'm terrified just the thought that I have to spend eight hours a day unconscious, much less spending decades or millennia unconscious. No, 2 Corinthians 5.8 tells us to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So no, we will not be unconscious. How about angels? You see this all the time in cartoons, that when you die, you become an angel. They'll give you your wings, and you'll get a little halo. 
But uh, no, Hebrews 1.14 tells us, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Or 1 Corinthians 6.3, Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of life? Angels are a totally separate creation from us. We don't become angels. We actually become something better. How about an ethereal world? A spiritual world where we sit on clouds and we play harps all day long. Oh, boring. And I think this is one of the best things that Satan uses about our idea of heaven. That heaven is dull. If you guys ever seen that movie, All Dogs Go to Heaven, All Dogs Go to Heaven too. the dog spends the entire time running from heaven because he's worried it's going to be bored to death. But no, the idea that heaven is a place where spirits float around in clouds is just not in the Bible. and It's actually a heresy that came later in church history. And I think clearly the greatest misconception we have about heaven is how we get there. We are told that we are all traveling down the road of life the minute we are born, and we will reach heaven. But that's not true. As soon as we sinned, as soon as we became imperfect, we, became, we fell under the fall and God's curse. So when you were born, you don't automatically go to heaven. You were born traveling on the road to hell. And it's Jesus who saves us from that road and pulls us in the direction of heaven. Why, I mean, that's why it's called being saved. We're not... He's rescuing us from something. He's rescuing us from our final destination of hell. If you're out in the ocean and you're drowning and you see a boat coming up, the boat throws the life preserver. That life preserver saves you out of where your destination is, which is drowning to death. So that is a huge misconception. And it's a choice we make. It's a choice that we decide whether we will choose God's rescue or not. If that swimmer's out in the ocean and he pushes the life preserver away, he chose to die. He chose to drown. It was his choice. And John 3.36 tells us this. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life because God's wrath remains on him. Now, for those who are rescued, for those who are saved, who those who have accepted Jesus' gift of salvation, let's talk about what life is like after you die. Today, you go outside, a tornado sucks you up, you're dead. This is what happens to you if you believe in Jesus as your Savior. Your spirit will go right to Jesus. It immediately upon death is ushered into the presence of Jesus by his angels in heaven. You can find that in Luke 16, 22. When you get there, you'll be given what's called an intermediate body. It's a real body. You're not a ghost. You're not going, ooh. You are in heaven with a real body, and thank goodness it is clothed. We will not spend eternity naked. I am glad for that. And it will be recognizable. The people that are up there will be able to recognize you because God alone is spirit, John 4, 24. And we can see that in the, for examples like Samuel when he came back, or Lazarus and the rich man in Luke 16. Moses and Elijah, when they came to, with Jesus to the transfiguration, what did Peter say? Hey, let me build a tent for you guys. You don't build a tent for a spirit. They were clearly recognizable bodies. Or the tribulation martyrs, when the people who die in the tribulation, they're up in heaven, what are they wearing? They're wearing white robes. They got physical bodies. So you will have an intermediate body when you die. You will experience the rapture. As you live in heaven with Jesus up into the time of the rapture, that time where Jesus comes for his church and resurrects their bodies and takes them to heaven, you'll be there. And you'll get to experience that resurrection as your earthly body, is that's what sleeps in the ground, and it's combined with your intermediate body, and you'll have new what's called resurrected or glorified bodies. First the dead in Christ, 
and then those who are alive at the rapture. And it all happens like that, twinkle of an eye. First Thessalonians 4, 16-7. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. And while we are up there, that's when the earth will enter in a stage called the tribulation. That's seven years of time where the world is punished for its continued rebellion against him, but not for those who are up in heaven. They will experience three things while they're in heaven. One, a judgment. It's called the judgment of the just, 2 Corinthians 5.10, but it's not a judgment of salvation. You're in heaven. You're already saved. It's a judgment of what you were doing. Remember, we were talking earlier about that we live a life of doing good works that we were created in Christ Jesus to do. So what are we doing with our time and energy here right now? Well, we're going to record be rewarded based on the quantity of work, how much we used our time and talents, the quality, how much effort did we really try to do a good job of reaching people, and our motivations. Did we do it for ourselves or did we do it for somebody else? And it will be a great reward ceremony. We'll get a little more of that later. There'll also be a party, and it has this real eloquent name, the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. But basically it's a, hey, welcome to heaven type party. God loves parties. He's, a, he's not all a gloom and doom like some people tell you. He loves a good party. Jesus Went to parties all the time when he was on earth. And he's going to throw a party, a celebration for those of us who are in heaven, reunited with him forever. And three, we're going to prepare to return with Jesus to earth, Revelation 19. We will get, a, I guess, armor or something. We're going to get a horse. I don't really know how to ride a horse, but we get some kind of horse. And maybe I'll get a hot rod, I hope. I don't know, something. And we'll go with Jesus back down to earth. That is the next thing we'll experience, the second coming. Now, 500 prophecies in the uh, Bible are about Jesus' second coming. One in 25 verses in the New Testament. And we will accompany him. Revelation 19, 14. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Well, there's my answer. I'm not getting a car. I'm going to have to ride a horse. And we're going to watch Jesus all by himself defeat the most worst scoundrel in the world, ten times worse than Hitler. A guy the Bible says is called the Antichrist who will eventually conquer the earth. He will defeat them at Armageddon, and with just a word, he will destroy all the armies that follow Satan. And he's going to take Satan, he's going to chain him up, and he will no longer torment us anymore and torment the world. He will send him into a deep pit. After that, Jesus is going to usher in what's called the millennial kingdom. For 1,000 years, Jesus is going to physically reign on earth. And it's going to be a wonderful, it's going to be a, a new era of peace and righteousness and justice. And because of all the destruction and the tribulation, he will cleanse the world and all the echo problems will go away. And uh, it'll just be a beautiful paradise once more. And Jesus himself will rule from Jerusalem. He will rebuild Jerusalem and rule from there. And we will get to reign with Jesus over the people who are still living in earthly bodies. Because people who have accepted Jesus as Savior during the tribulation, they're going to pass through what's called the sheep-goat judgment. They are going to be allowed to live into the millennium and have children and all that. And we will be there ruling with Jesus and helping them as ministrators and teachers and things like that. But at the end of the millennial kingdom, Jesus will release Satan because Satan will lead a bunch of people born in the millennium who want to rebel against God. They're given a paradise but they would rather do their own thing and they rebel against God. And when they rebel against God, all again, Jesus, with so much power, just has to say a few words. I guess the molecular bonds of them fall apart. It, it makes it sound like they're just melt. And Revelation 20 says Jesus will defeat them and we'll be there too. At the end of the millennium, there will be a final judgment for all those throughout human history have rejected God. And this is called the resurrection of the unjust. Everyone who is ex- 
held their fist against God and raised it up in rebellion will be resurrected. Uh, Philippians 2, 9 through 11. And here at this resurrection, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And that will be end to all who rebel against him. After that, God will reform the earth and there will be a new eternity after that. And a people group winnowed throughout all of human history that's loved him will live with him forever. I mean, after all, God doesn't want to spend eternity just talking to himself. You know, the Trinity said, hey, Dad, hey, Son, hey, Holy Spirit. No, he, he created all this because he wants people who want to be with him forever. And we will be part of those people. Okay, now what is heaven like? If it's not a ghost town, and if it's not a people place where you play lots of harps, what is it? Well, amazingly, the Bible teaches, and this is rarely taught, but this is true, that heaven will come down to a restored earth. Now, the earth has gone through lots of changes over history. We know before, well, during Adam and Eve's time, the earth was perfect. It was pre-fall, but when Adam and Eve sinned, a curse was put on it, and the whole earth changed. After Noah's flood, we have what our earth is today with its own atmosphere and environment, a little different than it was pre-flood times. After the tribulation, Jesus will rebuild the earth, and it'll be a millennial time, but that'll get trashed too at the last battle. And so the eternal earth well, God will renovate it with fire, it says, to a pre-fall state, Second Peter 3. It's going to be a paradise, it'll be perfect, and it'll be no curse again. And heaven will finally come down to earth. And it's a city that Jesus built called the New Jerusalem, John 14, 2. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, says Jesus. I am coming there to prepare a place for you. Now think of it. God made the whole universe in six days. He's been gone for 2,000 years building this place. What is this place going to be like? And it's going to come down to earth. And you know what? This is our home. This is our temporary home. That is what we were built for, that eternal home. Now let me explain a little what this super city will look like. It's described in Revelation 21. It's either a cube or a pyramid. We're not sure, but we are told it's 1,500 miles wide, long, and high. So it could be a square, it could be a pyramid. So you could say that the city would stretch from Canada to Mexico and from the Atlantic Ocean all the way to Colorado. It's that big. It's so big, in fact, that if, say, there was 20 billion people in it, each person would get 70 acres apiece cubed. It's that big, Revelation 21. And what it is made out of, what is a city? God didn't spare any expense. It's not made of gravel. It's made of gold. It's not just gold. It is pure gold. It is perfect, Revelation 21, 18 and 21. And its foundations are 12 layers of precious jewels like emeralds and sapphires and amethysts. And the 12 apostles are honored by their names are each put on one of those. Now, there are 12 gates to this city, and they're all made out of a pearl. Now, some of these angels reading the Bible are big guys. So we're not talking about little pearls or little gates. These are humongous gates made of a pearl. And if any of you all know, a pearl is made inside an oyster. So if the pearls are that big, how big are these oysters? I mean, they must be tremendous. And God has his throne in heaven. This is, it's the, the people who have gotten to see it and report back says it looks like an emerald with a rainbow around it. He has four creatures in front of it, four t- angel types that have never been seen anywhere else in the world. There's 24, uh, uh, excuse me, there are 24 elders taken from time, and they are around there, and there's angels, millions of angels worshiping God. And out of the middle of that throne is what's called a river of the tree of life. And that life is for the healing of the nations. The tree produces uh, fruits. There's trees. Remember the tree of life from the garden? There it is again. And it produces a crops of fruit once every month. And God lives there. And, you know, God is really bright. He is the light source of the city. And uh, one of my kids asked me, he says, well, if God's the light source of the city, what about the other side of the planet? How are they getting light? 
I said, that's a good question. The sun and moon and stars, will, you know, they'll still be out there, but it's God who provides the light. And what are we, what are we like? Are we going to be ghosts? What kind of, the, explain our glorified bodies. 1 Corinthians 15, 42 through 50. The body that is sown is a perishable, in other words, can be destroyed, but is raised imperishable, can't be destroyed. It is sown in dishonor. Our sin weights us down like we're filthy, but is raised in glory, purity. It is sown in weakness. We get sick, we get tired, but it will be raised in power. It is sown a natural body, but it will be raised a spiritual body, a spirit-powered, Holy Spirit-powered body. And we will bear the likeness of the man from heaven. The man from heaven is Jesus Christ. So we can't be destroyed. We are immortal. We'll live forever. We are powerful. We are spirit-controlled rather than sin-controlled. We're tangible. You can touch and feel. You can touch and feel Jesus when he res- resurrected. You will be recognizable, and your body will be perfect. I'm hoping for a few more inches and a smaller nose, but if we're recognizable, I guess I'm stuck looking like this forever. Hopefully younger, but we'll have no weaknesses. And you know, Jesus did some pretty remarkable things when he was resurrected. He would occasionally appear out of nowhere. I would think it'd be so great to all of a sudden pop in and out without having to travel. Or how about uh, he flew? He ascended to heaven. Will we get to fly? If that city is a huge pyramid, you can bet we're flying. I, you know, why take an escalator? And think about our bodies. Our bodies are degraded here. So our tastes, our touch, our smells, I'm wearing contacts, are all weaker. But in heaven, they'll be perfect. So think of the colors that we can see. Maybe we'll see outside of this light spectrum into the ultraviolet. Or what about tastes? I mean, you'll get to savor certain foods because we'll get to eat. Jesus ate. We'll get to savor certain foods like we have. And smells, I'm not big on the smells, but I think it would be wonderful to be able to smell all sorts of different things. And Jesus, when we're up there, he has rewards for us. For one, our glorified bodies, which we just talked about, is made in Jesus' image. We won't be like God. We can't be like God, but we will be like him physically. Jesus has promised crowns for us, physical representations of our life here on earth. What you're doing here and now on earth and making use of your time and talents will be turned into something physically that we can show. But not just to brag on ourselves, but to give back to Jesus' form. The 24 elders that sit around the throne put their crowns in front of God and say, holy, holy, holy. It's a sacrifice to the Lord. We're going to be given robes and you know, they might be white. I'm hoping for a little style, but I'm sure we will have clothes, so the toga party will be up there. And you know what's awesome? We will be given new names. When I was a kid, I hated Nathan. It was a nerd name, I thought. It's cool now, but at the time it wasn't. And I used to tell people, call me Jason. And kids would come up to the house and knock the door, can I play with Jason? And everyone would look around, who's Jason? So I'll get a new name. And he puts it on a white stone, and it might be a, a marble stone. I know Revelation 2.17 explains it. And it will be representative, most unlikely, of who we are. Bravery, power, faithful. I mean, wouldn't that be like to have a name that represents you for the rest of eternity? And you know what? Heaven is a place of comfort with no tears. Matthew 5 and Revelation 21. You don't have to worry about crying or hurting anymore. The Lord is there to comfort us, to give us mercy, and to give us justice. True justice, finally. Authority, that's another reward we'll get. We'll have a ruling authority during the millennial kingdom. We'll be administrators and teachers and executives and mayors and governors, lot legislatures, because Jesus himself makes the law. And you know what? We're talking about authority, maybe towns or cities, but God's made a whole universe. Our solar system has planets, and there's more stars and more planets, and there's more galaxies. I mean, who's to say we're limited to being ruling a few cities on, on the new earth? 
Maybe we're ruling a solar system or two as people go out into a whole universe God created. I mean, they, again, no mind can comprehend what God's got prepared for us. Or how about salvation? The Lord gave us salvation from the tribulation. He gives us salvation which is called the second death. Revelation 2.11. We'll get more on that later. And from death to have eternal life. We were saved to have eternal life. How about the honor? Can you believe that God would give someone like me honor? I get the honor to live in heaven. God's home where he hangs out. I don't like people living in my home. Not particularly. But God's going to have billions of us living in his home. And Jesus comes up to us and he says, Hey, Dad, look, we're confessed to the Father. Matthew 10, 32 and Revelation 3, 5. We are confessed. Jesus says, Here, my Father. God's not sitting up on some throne somewhere and we're looking miles up at him and never get to talk to him. We're brought to him. And you know what? The Father comes around and he honors us. John 12, 26. Can we get an honor from God the Father? Now, it's not honor for us particularly, but it's honor for what Jesus accomplished and what we accepted. And you know what? And this gets me. We're loved and adopted as children. Romans eight twenty three, that the God of the universe would adopt us as his own children. And that's love. So what will life be like? What are we going to do throughout eternity? Are we going to be playing harps and singing? I am the worst singer in the world, and I do hope even with my new glorified body, I am not singing throughout eternity. But we will get to that. There's fellowship with God. You know, that's why we, we were created. John 4, 23. We were made to fellowship with God forever. But it's a choice that we make if we want to spend eternity with God or not. And I hate to tell for some of you, there will be work. We have lots of work to do. But you know what? If it's work that's fulfilling and satisfying, as Matthew 5, 6 tells us, then it's not work at all, right? It's our sweet spot. If you're doing what you love to do, then it's not work, and God will have some great work for us. And you know what? Think of the talents. He's given each of you a special abilities and special gifts that enable you to achieve things and to work here on earth. Think about augmenting them and making them better and better, not limited by our human bodies. And you know what? We have ages to learn something. When I was a kid, I played the violin until my teacher asked me to stop. I was that bad. Well, I'd like to learn the cello. That's my goal is to learn the cello. And it's probably going to take me a few thousand years to learn the cello. But we'll have forever to get really good. I could have 10 doctorate degrees and still have forever. And we could be studying all the riches and knowledge of Christ. And since he's infinite, it's like chasing your tail. We could spend forever and we still would not learn it all. But think how smart we'll be by then. And we'll have a brain that only not 10% is using, but maybe all 100% is using. And, you know, we'll mature I won't have stupid, immature thoughts or say stupid things or react immaturely. It's not like we'll become all stuffy and boring, but we'll mature into the true humans that we're meant to be. Because you know what? No matter how old you are on earth, you're a child. And you need to get rid of that immaturity. And, and we'll have all of eternity mature. And yes, there will be worship. And now, people get this idea that worship is just, oh, holy, holy, holy. But it's not true. Worship is thanksgiving. It's thanking God. And when you've got all this, how can you not be thankful? You'll want to say, oh, Lord, holy, holy, holy is your name. And speaking of a choir, I went on a men's retreat once. And there was 500 men. And when you have 500 men say, sing, a mighty fortress is your God, it blows you out of seat. I mean, that kind of power that men Think about five million people singing to the Lord. What a choir. And you know what? There's a universe out there to explore. God created so much that we're only just beginning to fathom from our pinpoint in the universe. We will get eternity to explore what God's created. And again, we will reign with Jesus in the millennial kingdom, 
and the nations. Revelation 21 talks about this group of nations that will exist. We're not given any more information than that, but we will be given ruling authority. Can you believe that God would share his power? He's not a selfish guy, is he? So it is amazing what the future that we have ahead of us. But as good as that is, there's the other track, that track that goes to hell. And I would be remiss if I didn't share with those who, people who die without accepting Jesus as Savior, who continue on that path to their judgment and what's going to happen to them. Remember John 3.36, God's wrath remains on him. Those people that continue to live on that straight road without accepting Jesus' rescue have a different destination. They're going to die in rebellion, and they have no hope whatsoever. This is what's going to happen to them when they die. After they die, they're going to go to a place called Hades. The Bible also calls it Sheol or Torments. You can read all about it in Luke 16. It's a holding place for the dead who are going to prison. It has, or one time had two compartments, a place called Paradise and a place called Torments. Now, the Old Testament saints used to go to the Paradise part. They couldn't go to heaven yet because Jesus' blood hadn't been shed to cover their sins. By faith, they were there, but Jesus' blood allowed it. And Paradise was taken up to heaven. And so what we have now is just what's left is torments, a place of torment. Now, after that, at the end of the millennium, there'll be the great white throne judgment. It's a special name for basically the resurrection of the unjust. And we can read about in Revelation 20, 11 through 13. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, and earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in them, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. Now, they're going to be judged just like the just were. They're going to be judged on their works. But without the saving work of Jesus Christ, the only work that matters, they will found wanting. God's a perfect litmus test. And those works cannot add up. Everyone who tells you that you have to work your way to heaven is lying to you because the Bible says otherwise. And when they're all found guilty, their next and final destination is a place called hell. Revelation twenty fourteen through 15. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is called the second death. And if anyone's name was not found written in the books of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, a lot of people get some really false ideas. There's as many misconceptions about hell as there is heaven. As, for instance, Satan's down there stoking the fires. He's already there waiting to punish and torment us with pitchforks. No, they don't rule in hell. There are no demons and and Satan waiting to torment us in hell. Actually, believe it or not, there is nobody. There's not a single person in hell right now. Hell is the punishment created for Satan and his demons, Matthew 25, 41. It was created for them when they rebelled. And then when we rebelled, that same punishment came on us. It was never meant for us. Well, what's hell like? I mean, we read about it. Is it a place where we party down? Is it a place where it's warm and we hang out with our friends? Matthew 25, 46 tells us it's a place of punishment for rebellion. Punishment is not good. It's not a good place. And it's where the wrath of God, John 3.36 is, the wrath of God. We read, wow, we read about the wrath of God. I like the sound effects. We read about the wrath of God. Whenever God judges the earth in entirety, we saw it at the flood. We will see it at the tribulation. He will judge all who have rejected him at the second death. 
And that's what it's called, the second death, Revelation 21.8. It is also called eternal destruction, 2 Thessalonians 1.9. Eternal, forever destroyed. And you know what? There's no escape, Luke 16. There's no way out. It's not some fancy Star Trek episode where they hitch a few wires, the doors open, they always escape. It's not like that in hell. There is no escape in hell. What's it physically like? Matthew 25.41 and Revelation 20.15 tell us it is a lake of fire. Some people think maybe it's in the underworld. You see lava, it flows like a lake. I tend to think it's a star. If you ever get a good picture of a star, you see the plasma boiling and roiling like, like lakes. It could be, the Bible doesn't tell us, but it's a place of flames. It's a place of burning. And you would think with all that fire, it'd be a bright place. But Matthew eight twelve tells us it's a place of outer darkness. There is no light. You will not get to see in hell. And the stench of it, Luke 16 tells us it stinks. It's got a bad smell to it. And the people who are there will be conscious. They won't be knocked out. They won't be driven mad because they don't think about it. They have a conscious existence, Deuteronomy 18.11. And what they're consciously aware of is that they chose to separate themselves from the Father. Luke 16, God says, I love you, come to me. You can choose that or you can say, no way. And they'll spend eternity regretting that decision. And because they regret it, because they're separated from God, God is life. Without him, he holds the universe together. You hear about people who's trying to find the God particle or the string theory, the, the underlying force that holds everything together. Jesus says it's, it's him. He's the bread of life. He's what gives us, that holds us together. And without him, there is only loneliness and separation. Being convicted by your memories. Luke 16 says you thirst. And believe it or not, there doesn't seem, and again, this is another reason I think it's a star or some other place, Luke 16 tells us you fall. There's no ground. It's a continual feeling of falling and falling and not stopping. And because of all the agony and the destruction that you feel there, it says in Matthew 8, 12, there's gnashing of teeth. Ah! There's weeping and crying. It's a place of torment, Revelation 14. And it's an awful place of torment because you're alone with yourself forever just as you decided you wanted to do because you didn't accept Jesus' salvation. Now, this is why our destination, why we need to think about something bigger than our life here on earth, why we need an eternal perspective, because our life on this earth, it really is just short, isn't it? I mean, it's just a breath. And it makes sense that we need to look at the bigger picture in life. You need to know where you're going. You just can't live for the now, because if you die this next minute, that's it good friend of mine in high school. His mother was making him dinner. She slipped on the water while she was making dinner, banged her head against the cabinet, snapped her neck. She was dead instantly. One minute she's making the meatballs, the next minute she's dead, and her son's standing there over a dead mother. It happens that way. We don't think it can happen to us, especially the younger we get. We are. We think that it doesn't happen to us, but it will. It'll catch up to us. Death is inevitable unless you're raptured. So live with an eternal perspective. If you live with an eternal perspective, then everything else you do in life and think about will make sense. It has purpose. Now, the Bible is, it's all in here. You don't, it's not a hard concept. Don't listen to what the cartoons and the movies are telling you. It's all in here and read it. If you want people to help make it easy for you to understand, I recommend this book by Dr. David Reagan, Eternity. Our own Dr. Reagan is out there on the sales table, and it is awesome for telling you about all that it has. He's done all the research. Uh, also, Dr. Ron Rhodes, The Wonder of Heaven. Excellent book. They'll give you more details than what I could cover in my short time here. 
And uh, my kids and I have been going through this lately. Heaven for Kids by Randy Alcorn, which brings it real easy for kids to understand. These resources are out there. Now, you know that now where your destiny lies. Have you made that choice for Jesus? Have you asked, dear Jesus, forgive me of my sins and be my Savior. Rescue me, please. I want to live with you forever. There's all that ahead of us. Why? What are we doing here on earth that's so important? What sins are we committing that's just so great that we want to stay here when you've got all that ahead of you? So turn to Jesus right now and ask him to forgive you of your sins and be your Savior and think of the future you have. Don't go to hell. Don't write hell off as not a real place. The Bible, the God of the universe, who's outside time, who knows what's beyond here, has told us that's what it is. And that's our future. So you have a decision to make today. Have you accepted Jesus as your Savior or have you not? And if you need to make that, don't leave here if you haven't made that decision. Ask Jesus to be your Savior. Talk to me afterwards. Talk to any of our speakers and we will share with you the news and the future you have. And it's a wonderful future. And let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much that you would love us. I, I still marvel over that verse that you treasure us. You treasure us as children. And you want to share all that you've made and done with us forever. And that blows my mind. And that you have shared your only son and let him die on our behalf. A horrible, brutal death. And that he beat that death and came back to life so that we might have life if we only accept it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life, not everlasting death. Lord, if there's anyone here today, may they have made that prayer. May they be new creatures in you. May they be one of that choir that's going to spend eternity in heaven worshiping you and thanking you and loving you and being with you forever. May you bless each and every one of us with your presence. In your special name, precious name, the Lord Jesus Christ, amen.